crazy is that, right? You're all sitting there wondering why in the world in Dallas, Texas, are we playing the intro from the Chicago Bulls 1997? You know, they were the ones that started that. Everybody does that in arenas today, but the Chicago Bulls started that. And uh, when I told Erin, Spencer and I told her of our plan, she uh, thought we were crazy, as you can imagine. <clears throat> and I told her, though, of a story of Brian Houston. I don't know how many of you guys know Brian Houston. He's the founder of Hillsong. But Brian talks about the days when he started Hillsong Church back over 30 years ago. It was a church plant, actually. And he said that when he started it in the early days, every week, uh, it got less and less people there. He said one week, he decided he was going to uh, do this illustration where he got a rope and he swung across the middle of the church like Tarzan and nothing really happened. But uh, the next week, one of the young men that were there in the congregation, they brought, he brought nine guys with him. And all nine of those guys accepted Christ. And then over the next three weeks, Brian tells the story that that same guy brought another 30 people to the church, all of which came forward and accepted Christ. <clears throat> he said, he listened, he said, I went forward and I, I talked to this young man and I said, you know, what in the world? How, I mean, what motivated you to, to go out and how were you able to get all these people in here? He said, well, I just went out and told him that, you know, you got to come to this church where I go because there's this crazy preacher and he swings across the, the, the church like Tarzan. And he said, they just kept wanting to come see just what you were doing. Uh, he said, but then the tragic side of that story, he said, was that that young man that had brought all of those people uh, to church that accepted Christ, he died at the end of that three weeks in a motorcycle accident. But Brian then said, but listen, the fruit of his labors are still being seen today because he said, listen, in 30 years since that day where those nine people accepted Christ, he said, I cannot remember a service where someone didn't put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So it's a great story. You do crazy things. I guarantee you there's not going to be another Bible fellowship class at Prestonwood where you get red lights and the, the intros music for the Chicago Bulls, right? This will be a first and maybe probably a last, but, <clears throat> but no, why am, I, why am I playing that? Why did I uh, put this intro music out there? Well, to me, uh, as a basketball fan, probably the greatest basketball player in my mind was Michael Jordan. I think you could probably argue there may be some people that would pick other players, but if you look at his statistics, I think you would agree that nobody compares. He won six NBA World Championships. He was a 14-time All-Star. He uh, won the Most Valuable Player Award 13 times. He was a scoring leader 10 times. Of course, he was the first ballot hall of famer and if you're keeping up with recent news you know that his air jordans came out with a new pair of air jordans this past week and he's now on number 31 so i they, they said that number 31 is going to go back it's retro back to what it was in the beginning i guess there's only so many things you can do with sneakers so 31 goes back to the beginning but i was reading an article not too long ago uh, where michael was talking about uh, what it took to be successful, why he was successful at being a basketball player. And here's what he said, some of the things that you would expect. He said it, it took a dedication, it took hard work, <clears throat> took focus, took a never give up attitude, and it was a passion and a love for the game. But Michael said most important, he said you have to want it. 
According to Michael, the question is, how bad do you want it? If you don't want it, you won't get it. If you can live without it, you will. To succeed, he said, you have to hunger and thirst for success. Now, Michael had something special about him. There's very few athletes, really, in the world that, that can do what Michael Jordan did. He just had this special something inside him. He had, a, he had a special DNA, if you will, that just drove him to this hunger and thirst for success. Well, tonight, in Matthew 5, 6, we're going to talk about hunger and thirst. We're going to talk about hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, we can't maybe play basketball the same way Michael Jordan did, but we can all be what I would call Michael Jordan Christians. And that's what I want to talk about tonight. Matthew 5, 6 says that blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. They shall be satisfied. Now, why do you think Jesus in this context and Michael and his Uh, most important reason for his success. Why do you think he used this words hunger and thirst? And I've got some handouts, by the way, on the table that you can fill in some blanks as we go through this. And I think the first thing on that list is why hunger and thirst? Why do you think that Jesus used this picture, this analogy of someone that is hungering and thirsting for righteousness? Why do you think that's the case? There you go, right? A legend of the water there. Picture of something you can't live without. Nice job, Zara. It's something you can't live without, right? And for the people that were there, his disciples, this is definitely something that they would understand. Uh, These were not rich people, probably. They knew what it was like to be hungry at times. Um, I'm sure all of us have had a period in our life uh, where maybe we were hungry or thirsty. I uh, I know I have. Uh, I took William on a bike ride not too long ago, and this is a dad thing, right? So it's uh, 105 degrees outside, and I think the, uh, uh, the, the index is probably about 115. So I said, William, let's go for a bike ride. Okay, dad, let's go. So we were going to ride our bikes about uh, three miles up to this trail and three miles back to our house. And we got up there and we turned around. We're starting to come back and poor William, I'm looking over there and he's just not going to make it. His face is bright red and I forgot to bring water, another dad thing. I didn't have water, didn't think about water. And so William literally, I didn't think, I thought I was going to carry him back because he was just, dad, I'm dying of thirst. I'm dying of thirst. I'm dying of thirst. And he was, but fortunately for us in the United States, usually the quench to our thirst or our hunger is just a short time away, right? Uh, I know when I was in Uganda, I got to see real hunger and real thirst. And, you know, I got to see the places where people drink water from these, these ponds that are ponds that I promise you, you probably wouldn't even go in. Uh, they'll go down there and get water and they'll drink from that. Uh, Jeff Young, who you guys know, who's here, one of our ministers of the church, he was telling me a story one time when he was over in Africa. He said they were at this uh, dinner one night in this small village and the people in the village had made them dinner. And he was talking about how his stomach just didn't feel well and he really just couldn't eat the food. So they took it, uh, him and some, another person that was there with him, and they, they were like acting kind of like they were going to eat it. And they took it and they kind of rolled it up in a napkin and they dropped it behind them in the dirt and kind of in the mud. So he was sitting there for a little while and then all of a sudden he heard somebody behind him, some rustling behind him, and it was some little kids that were grabbing that food off of the ground to eat it. He said it just broken. That's the hunger, that's the thirst that Jesus is talking about here that he wants us to have. 
okay, that we can't live without it. We need it so bad. It is something that, that our life depends on, that we, we, we hunger, we, we thirst for in a way like those children did for this food because they were so hungry. And what he wants us to hunger and thirst for is not basketball, right? We're not talking about basketball. We're talking about righteousness. So what is righteousness? We've talked about this a lot in here. It's a big theological word, right? But my simple definition of righteousness would be to live a life pleasing to God. To live a life pleasing to God. I gotta erase this because I wanna show you guys something as I go through this that's gonna relate to the three circles that we've used a lot for our evangelism. So somebody tell me, so there's two types of um, righteousness, it's really two sides of a coin, if you will. And that's my two uh, blanks here. There's positional and relational, okay? Positional, sometimes you would call it imputed righteousness and relational. We've talked a lot about it in this class over the book of Hebrews and others. Um, how would you define this positional righteousness? Somebody tell me what positional righteousness means. Righteous based on what Jesus did, right? Uh, there's another word for this, and not imputed or positional, but it would be that you've been justified. God's justice this was to be poured out on mankind, okay? Jesus took that for us. He took that judgment, if you will, okay? And he justified us. Uh, it's what the Bible's talking about in Hebrews where it says that I'm not going to remember your, God's going to remember your sins no more. The reason he doesn't remember our sins is not because we're anything special, but because of what Jesus did for us, right? Second uh, Corinthians 5.21, what does it say? It says, he who knew no sin became sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So it's what God sees when he sees us. The reason that we are pleasing to God as a whole from a position standpoint is because of what Christ did on the cross. Died for us on the cross. We get positional righteousness because of Jesus. Thank goodness because for the entire Old Testament, they were trying to get it on their own, right? And it didn't work. It failed over and over and over and over again. So thank goodness for Jesus that we have this positional righteousness. But there's another uh, type of righteousness, this relational side. This is what we would refer to as sanctification. It's the pursuit of holiness, if you will. Again, we've talked a lot about this in this class. It is a lifelong pursuit of, of becoming more and more like Jesus. It is living your life in a way that makes you more and more and more like Christ. Getting back to that relationship with God that was intended in the beginning that man through sin broke. Okay, it's, it's a process. It's a life process of following after Jesus. When we did the three circles, you know, we talked about, we've got this one over here we call brokenness. I'm going to call it life, okay, because life can be broken or it can be unbroken. And then down here, <clears throat> we had this other circle that we said, you know, was about Jesus, right? And then there was another circle up here where it was God's perfect design, Well, you could look at this and say that this right here, this part of it, when you put your faith and trust in Christ, okay, when we talked about trusting and believing in Christ, this is your imputed righteousness, okay? When God sees us, he sees Jesus. This over here, we talked about, that's where God wants us, right? That's the perfect design that he had for this world was that we would have a relationship with him, that we would walk together with him, okay? So this is where we want to be. 
And remember we talked about over here on this, this leg, uh, one of the things that we wrote was pursue. Well, this pursuit, that's what we're talking about. Okay, that's, that's the hunger and thirst for this. Okay, when we have this, when we're Christians, remember he's talking to Christians, those that already have this imputed righteousness, they're pursuing because of this, God's perfect design to bring us back into a relationship with him. It's a little bit what, remember, Paul talks about in Romans 6, where he says, what are, are we just supposed to, to keep on sinning? Remember that chapter? You've heard talk about that. Well, this is really kind of what he's talking about. He's talking about over here. He's saying, okay, well, we, do we just keep on sinning over here? Is that what we do after this? And what does he say? He says, no. No way you can do that. Because if you have this, if you've got this imputed righteousness, you've got to want this. You can't keep sinning over here. Okay, you got to have a hunger and a thirst. Erin's writing a book, probably some of you know it, called Emerge, and she's been sending out these questionnaires to people to ask them questions. And one of them was filled out, I can't use the name because I'm getting in trouble, uh, with someone that I went to college with, oddly enough. And when I was in college, I read this and figured out that she was a Christian then. I had no idea. It shows you how little I was perceptive of things back in that day. But, but she wrote in there, one of her answers was, you know, that when she accepted Christ, she wrote in, in, in uppercase letters, I had a hunger for God. I had a hunger for God. Okay, that's one of the things that happens when you have the imputed righteousness, when Christ has come into your life and saved you. You, you should develop a hunger and a thirst for the relationship, the sanctification part of it. It's, it's, it's really kind of pretty serious business if you think about it. Because if you're not hungering and thirsting, then you better be thinking about this, right? Let me read you what a couple of people smarter than me had to say about this. John MacArthur being one of them. John says, if you claim a relationship with Christ, but you aren't hungering and thirsting for righteousness, this relationship with Christ you need to honestly question whether you know him. You need to honestly question whether you have that imputed righteousness. And then there's a guy named Martin Lloyd-Jones, also MJ from Michael Jordan. He's a great preacher from the 1800s. So this older MJ, preacher MJ, he says, if this verse is to you one of the most blessed statements of the whole scripture, you can be quite certain you're a Christian. If it is not, then you had better examine the foundation again. You better examine the foundation again. So it's a serious question, isn't it? It's a serious, serious question. And we need to all ask ourselves, okay? We don't need to, to, to just run through life assuming this. We need to ask ourselves, do we hunger and thirst for righteousness? Because if you're a Christian, okay, it's in your DNA, all right? This is our DNA, Michael had a DNA that drove him to be the best, something that comes along very uh, seldom. Maybe only a few times in a, in a generation do you find somebody like that. But for us, every single person that's put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ has this in their DNA. Got it inside of you, okay? But is it coming out? Is your life 
bearing fruit in a manner that suggests that you're hungering and thirsting for righteousness? That's really my question for us tonight. It's the most important question that we can really ask because it, 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 it answers a lot of things for us, right? It, it, one, it, it helps answer this because I want to be certain of this. I don't know about you. I don't want there to be a question of my imputed righteousness. I want to know that I know that I know that I know that I know that Christ is living inside of me. And one way you will is how do you live your life? Hunger and thirst. Stephen's message tonight, I loved it. I went up to the stage, I was telling him, I said, thank you for setting this up for me because uh, when he talked about what was the first thing he said that Ezra did, he went up, right? Well, I'm gonna tell you what he did before he went up. He was hungering and thirsting for righteousness. He wouldn't even have been thinking about it if he wouldn't have had a hunger for what God wanted to do in his life. But my fear is that when I look around and I just kind of observe even the church and the people of the church and myself, you know, I fear that we hunger and thirst for a lot of things, but I'm not always certain that it's righteousness, that it's to be more and more like Christ. There's a uh, French philosopher and mathematician, Pascal, and I looked this up because I'm not well read enough to read these kind of things, but he says there is a God-shaped vacuum inside every human heart. If we don't fill it with God, we will fill it with something else. If we don't fill it with God, we're going to fill it with something else. And when I was studying for this, just kind of looking at just the culture at large, boy, did I find this. Um, You know, 70% of Americans are overweight. So we love the food, right? We're definitely into food. We hunger and thirst for food, to use the the analogy. But, But it isn't just that. What about TV? 35 hours a week is the average. It's eclipsed, by the way, in some studies today by social media. But it isn't just that. It isn't just social media. It isn't just TV. It's, it's everything, right? Everything fights for our time. It's our family. It's our friends. It's sports. It's work. You know, for most of the day, I think, me included, we're probably hungering, thirsting for everything but God. Everything but God. Now, listen, this doesn't mean, right, that we have to, you know, every day just wake up and meditate for the whole day. I mean, that's really, I mean, it might be good though. I mean, I think it would be good for me some days. It's not really what we're talking about. We're really kind of talking about a way of life, aren't we? Just a heart condition, you know? It's, it's where's our dedication? Where's our focus? You know, the MJ was talking about. Think about what the Bible says about it. A couple of very scary verses here for me. I read this, I was just convicted like crazy. I put them down there on there for you. Romans 13, 14 says, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for flesh to gratify his desires. Make no provision. I mean, I'd like for it to give me a percentage or something. Like 50% of the time I can do this. Like 50% of the time I can think about myself and the other half I can think about God. I can put him over here first, and the rest of the time I can do what I want, I can give in to my desires. No, it says no, none. Make no provision for the flesh. That's convicting, isn't it? In 1 John two fifteen, it says, do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Mm, now the world, that's a big subject, isn't it? A lot of stuff in the world. These are strong. Now listen, though, this doesn't mean all those things that I was talking about are bad. 
Okay, this isn't a go, you know, join the priesthood or something like that, all right? That's not what this is about. But I, it's, it's a little bit like money, though, all those things, right? I mean, money in and of itself is not bad, but it's what money causes sometimes. If it takes your focus away from God. It takes your focus away from God. I mean, I think we would all agree, right, that, that the way we spend our time, our focus, et cetera, tells a little bit or maybe a lot about what we're hungering and thirsting for. Isn't that what Jared always says is show me your what? Your checkbook and your calendar, and I'll show you where your priorities lie. A lot of truth to that, really. A lot of truth to that. I mean, do you think Michael Jordan would have been great at basketball if he'd have spent all his time playing golf and maybe baseball? He wasn't. He was a great athlete. He was a terrible baseball player. I actually actually was in Birmingham when he was a part of the baseball team. And uh, I played golf at a place where he played golf with. So I got to see him all the time. He was the nicest guy in the world, but he was a horrible baseball player. And he, all he did is play golf. So that's probably why he wasn't very good at it. But it's our relationship with Christ, isn't it, that gets squeezed. When there's not enough time in the day, it's always our relationship with, with Christ that gets squeezed, isn't it? It's always that. He'll understand Grace, I live under the blanket of grace. I don't want to. I don't want to be a Pharisee, which my kids always want to use when I try to tell them to do something they don't want to do. Okay, all right. You're not being legalistic. I, I don't want to be legalistic. Grace, I fall under grace, so I, I got to give myself grace. It's always what gets squeezed. I was talking to a friend, Jim John, this week, and him and his wife Kay. They've led for decades a prayer ministry and have literally uh, been involved with hundreds, if not thousands, of churches all over the country. They're the prayer leaders for E3 Partners, which you remember, I am second. And uh, Jim was telling me that, you know, in his 30-some-odd years, it has been his experience that in every situation, whether a church meeting or whatever it might be, that when you run out of time of doing whatever the business you want and you don't have any time left, the one thing that always gets cut from the schedule is prayer. Very true. It gets squeezed, but I could add to that all kinds of things, right? I could add to that what, what Stephen was talking about tonight about your, your, your thirst for knowledge of God's Word. I mean, you know, how many times does that get pushed aside? The time that I'm going to spend reading my Bible or attending church. I mean, I sometimes think that, that people consider it kind of optional. <laughs> it says, hey, if I got nothing else to do tonight, I'll just go to church. But otherwise, you know, I got... I got important things to do in my life, okay, important things. It could be also a number of other things. It could apply to getting involved, serving, helping someone, sharing the gospel, joining a small group, attending Friday morning men's Bible or maybe a women's Bible study. It's all of these things, right, that, that are indicators, if you will, of our hunger and our thirst. Do we really, really want to pursue righteousness or are we pursuing everything else? That's the question we're trying to answer for ourselves, for each of us. Each of us need to answer, are we hungering and thirsting for righteousness? And what is it, do you think, that keeps us from it? What is it that makes us chase all these other things? Any thoughts? I'm, I'm open to suggestions. I mean, Jared talked about it a little bit last week, right? He talked about intimacy, and it was, I think he said, that uh, busyness of life, fear, fear complacency, material things. 
I mean, I think a lot of it is, is it's, it's this, you know, kind of idea of short-term gratification. You know, we kind of reach for things that fill voids and make us happy and, you know, that we think we need. And it's kind of all short-term. What's, you know, what, what do we need next, you know? Um, I think also, it, you know, the world would look at this beatitude, the fourth beatitude, uh, and they would probably look at it and say, you know, hunger and thirst for what makes you happy. You know, they would probably read it that way as opposed to hungering and thirsting for righteousness makes you happy. I think sometimes it can be fear. Um, you know, I think maybe people are afraid. But I tell you, though, if you, if, if, if you have this, though, you know, it, it's hard, I think, to bottle that up for, for, for long. I mean, you know, that, that fear, you know, at some point in time, you got to hope it presses through this, Right. I mean, I was reading a, uh, a, a blog by my friend Jim Dennison, you know, this past week, and it just kind of spoke to me on this, and he's talking a little bit about this. He says, in our culture plagued by short-lived infatuations, Jesus is offering an infatuation as long-lived as the stars and angels in heaven before time began. You and I were made for this holy fixation, and he is waiting patiently with joy in his eyes he doesn't see your political affiliation, your skin color, your notions of him. He simply sees you, and, all, and you are all he wants. May we allow him to hold us all together. May all mankind find their true purpose in all-absorbing passion in him. But it's all these short-term things, right? It's all these short-term gratifications. It's, it's what I need to do next, you know, that gets in way maybe of what is the bigger importance here of trying to become more and more like Christ, of chasing after him. You know, this, but this short-term mentality, though, actually, I think has a good side for me when I think about this because it reminds me that this is a choice, and it's a daily choice. You know, one of the great verses for sanctification is Luke 9, 23, about do you want to be a follower of Christ, right? It says, if you want to be a follower of me, what do you got to do? You got to deny yourself, humble yourself, deny yourself, put away yourself, and then what? Every day, daily, Take up your cross. It's a choice you have to make every single day. It's a choice that Michael Jordan had to make, I promise you. Every single day, he had to decide, does he want to go and do what it takes to be successful? He had the DNA, but there are others that, that have had similar DNA. I could keep going on the basketball analogy. I could mention people like Christian Leitner. Anybody ever heard of Christian Leitner? Probably one of the greatest uh, college basketball players, right, Terrence, of all time. What did he do? Nothing. One of the more disappointing pro players ever because he just didn't have the drive, didn't, didn't want to do what it takes, didn't want to put in the effort, didn't want to work as hard as he needed to work, got sidetracked by a lot of other things. Bring it local. What about a guy named Roy Tarpley? Some people compared him to Michael Jordan, by the way, but he just, he could never get off of drugs. He could never stop chasing uh, glory and fame and finally got banned from the NBA. Just wasted Wasted talents, and I feel like there's a lot of Christians that would fall into that category, that, that have this, okay, but are not living a life in victory because they're not hungering and thirsting for righteousness, but they're hungering and thirsting for all those other things. They're making a daily choice to go a different direction other than Christ. But, you know, I think about that, and I think, man, if they could ever just get a taste if they could ever just get a taste, a glimpse of God's goodness, just a glimpse of God's goodness, I think what you find is that winning drives winning, 
I think Michael figured that out, did he not? Winning drives winning. It's really what the blessing here is about. Okay, the blessing here is, for they shall be satisfied. King James Version uses the word filled, okay? And what are you filled with? Filled with righteousness. Okay, so a hunger and thirst for righteousness leads to righteousness. Winning drives winning. Creates a circle, if you will. The cycle, which I would call a cycle of success. I can play it out for you on this, okay? I can play it out on, on this for you. The cycle here starts with our DNA, right? This is the DNA that I'm talking about. Michael had a special DNA, so do we as Christians. Because of this DNA, all right, we're going to pursue God. We're going to hunger and thirst for God like Michael hungered and thirst for basketball, right? We, we want this. We want to get back into that perfect design, just like he became what some would argue is a near-perfect basketball player. And because of this, because we've got it in our DNA and because we work at it, okay? Everybody doesn't like that word, work at it. Oh, gosh, there you go again. Tell me I got to work at being a Christian. Of course you do. Of course you do. That's what God wants you to do. You can't go like we were talking about tonight unless you're doing something. He doesn't want you to lay on your couch, okay? You got to go pursue it. And that brings you to this perfect design. And when you do this, what happens in life? You win. All that brokenness we talk about, we've talked about it a bunch, right? This brokenness goes away. There's healing over here. There's victory in this life. And why is there victory in this life? Well, if you're Michael, you're born with it. If you're us, you're born again. It's because of your DNA, and it creates a cycle. Okay, because we got in our DNA, we want to pursue God. Because we pursue God, we become more like God. Because we become more like God, we win at life. Why do we win at life? Because it's in our DNA. And because it's in our DNA, we pursue God. It becomes a cycle, this great circle. It's a cycle of success. But it all starts with a choice, really, doesn't it? Because what you do here is going to have a gigantic impact on here on your life side of it, right? Because what you do here, all right, if you want to make a Roy Tarpley decision and chase, remember all those little things we put over here? We called them money and we called them addiction, all those different things that, that ran out that we, we went to. Well, you can make that decision and then this life is going to be broken. It's going to be a huge mess, right? Or you can pursue righteousness with this hunger and this thirst, and over here, you're going to see a lot of winning. But it creates this cycle, right? And it all starts with that choice. And if you make the choice that MJ made, let me give you a couple of other things to finish here in a minute. Give me a couple, a couple other things that happens because of this cycle that you create. This cycle, this circle of success, if you will. One, it's contagious. It's contagious. I guarantee you, okay, everybody always thinks I look like Steve Kerr. One of the reasons that I go anywhere in this world and I mean literally anywhere in this world ask my wife and they know me it doesn't matter if they know me or not they know me they don't th even if they don't have any clue who I am they come up to me like I'm their best friend 
And I'm convinced it's partly because I'm recognizable for some of these. So he made these guys better. Think about how much better he made Scottie Pippen. You think Scottie Pippen would have been what he was out playing on the team with Michael? No, he wouldn't have. He made them better. It was contagious. That winning, that, that hunger, that thirst, it becomes contagious. It'll become contagious for you too, for your family, for your friends, for your coworkers, right? It's contagious. I'll tell you the other thing. You can pass it on. You can pass it on. Michael Jordan has held two camps a year for more than 20 years trying to teach people what he had. Trying to teach people what he had. I got to go out this morning and see uh, Jarvis and Stewart in all-in sports outreach with 15 kids there doing the same thing, trying to pass it on. Trying to create a cycle in their lives of success that starts with their DNA, right? That starts with their DNA, And the other thing, the third thing that this does, when you keep doing this, when you keep pursuing, you keep hungering, these victories, they just add up. They just add up. Michael had six of those crowns. I I read you all these things he had over there, okay? But the riches and, and and the accolades and the crowns that Michael had have no comparison to what God has planned for his people. Bible says he has a crown of righteousness laid up for us and that we could not begin to know the measurable riches in Christ. Starts with the DNA and it goes to this hunger and thirst. You know, just, it kills me when I see uh, Christians and honestly, I'm speaking to myself a lot of days. It just kills me when I see them live in, in defeat. Kills me when I see Christians live in defeat. It's not the way God intended life to be for us. He didn't intend for us to live in defeat. He intended for us to live in victory, right? One of the great scripture in the Bible, 1 Corinthians. Write this down or turn to it because I, I read it, absorb it. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you look there in verse 55, it says, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. He wants victory in your life. Don't be afraid of what you're going through. Be immovable, steadfast. Victory, God wants you to have peace and joy in your life. Romans 14, 17 says that it isn't food and water that we hunger and thirst for. It's righteousness and it's peace. It's joy. Okay, there's a peace and there's a joy that comes with this. Mike Fetchner, one of his favorite, his life verse, if you will, was Matthew 6, 33. What does Matthew 6, 33 says? But seek ye first, what? The kingdom of God and his righteousness and all things will be added. All things. What does that mean, all things? I guess it means all things, right? We want to limit it, okay? We want to limit it, but it means all things. And why? Why why would this verse be a truth? Why would God want to give us all things when we seek after him? Because it's what he intended. It's what he intended. It was the perfect design that he had, okay? It's what he wants of all of us. Okay, that's the relationship that he wants of all of us. It's the way he made us. It's the way he designed us. It's the reason Michael Jordan is a great basketball player. It was the way he was made. We as Christians with DNA of Christ, that's the way we're made. Okay? That's what he wants for us. All things. Victory. 
So if you don't, I want you to remember two things, okay, tonight. Two things that I want you to make sure you take away from Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. First, just remember this. It's in your DNA. If you're living in defeat, okay, you have the DNA to turn it around. You don't have to live that way. It is in your DNA, but you've got to choose, all right? You've got to choose. You've got to make this choice over here. The MJ choice could start your own cycle of success. Second thing you should remember is that winning drives winning. Okay, get a taste of this. Get a taste of God's goodness. And the more you do, the more you hunger and thirst, the more you will be filled. The more you'll become like Jesus. And the more you will live in victory. That is the ultimate promise of Matthew 5, 6. That if you hunger and thirst for Christ, you'll become more and more like Christ. Victory in Jesus, the MJ Christians, that's what I want us to be. Amen? Amen. All right, let me pray for us. Father, thank you for this night. Thank you for this class and for this time together, Lord. I pray, God, that as we go out this next week, Lord, I pray that you would give us a, a, a hunger and a thirst for you and for your word, Lord. And I pray, God, that the fruit of that hunger will be great blessings in our life. Protect us and Lord, keep us safe. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.